0: The Radical Up podcast is produced in partnership with AmericanFirearms.org. American Firearms' mission is to recommend what works. We believe everyone deserves access to unbiased, helpful information about firearms. And our buying guides, product reviews, and learning resources are designed to help real people find the stuff that will work best for them. Check us out at www.AmericanFirearms.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Radical Up podcast. I'm here with Matt Nash. So we've been talking this about offline, but he's a master level production shooter. He'll be a GM eventually, <laughs> but he's a competitive shooter, right? Eventually. Um, but I'm excited to have you on to talk about nationals and IPSC and all these different things. So uh, thanks for joining me.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me here. I've yeah. been uh, been excited about this. I, I appreciate you uh, rescheduling yesterday because of some work stuff.
0: They don't know that. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> so but I it. K- yeah. So kicking things off, I know, like, the, the biggest thing on people's mind right now is, like, the Nationals finish and going to World Shoot. So I do want to back up and talk about um Nationals, like, what that was like, training for it. Did you meet your goals at Nationals or fall short? And, you know, you shot with Super Squad this year, right?
1: I did. I, I think I got bumped because I'm on the uh, World Shoot team. Um, there are a couple of good shooters that were a little bit above me on finish last year. Um, but I think I, I got the opportunity to shoot with my team. So that was great.
0: Awesome. Yes. Yeah, so tell me about that experience though, for training, getting ready, mental game, all of that.
1: You know, I, I can't, I can't speak for most, but a lot of the GM squad, like Phil Mason, Lutman, Brian Giovanni, um, Sal and Jake, they're, they're all like really close friends. Um, I shoot other matches with them on a regular basis, so in in a weird sense, it was kind of like home. I actually Which felt because more because you guys all live
0: together in a very small home. <laughs> we do,
1: we do stay in. We are we are like an unofficial outside of shooting. We're like a team. We do always group up together and get Airbnbs and stuff. So, and that's kind of my point. So, like, I felt more comfortable shooting on the Super Squad, where I bet most people wouldn't. Yeah. And I think I've shot enough majors to to kind of remember to shoot my game um, on the mental side. So it didn't really bother me. I mean, I just shot with Mason and Jake um, and Sal at Pan American uh, this year. Uh, so that doesn't really get to me too much. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't really feel like much pressure or anything like that. Um, it was cool to see some people I don't always get to see, but I shot with, I think, Nils. I shot at Area 8 with. Uh, which he's had a phenomenal year, so it's been cool to see witness that a couple times. And then uh, JJ, um, it's always awesome to shoot with him because he keeps the mood light and he's always laughing and making jokes. So, I mean, it was a great squad, but those are like my friends. So, honestly, I get I get like a little disappointed when I don't get to shoot with them um, because part of it's being part of the community and friends. And, you know, we don't all live in the same state. So like those are my opportunities to get to hang out with my friends and stuff. So, um, but you know, there's always some people that don't on, on the boneyard team that don't make the super squad. And um, I actually miss shooting with like um, the area three director to be um, the, the Luke. the most interesting man in the world. Uh, Luke, uh, I think, you know, I didn't get to shoot with him and Darren who I usually get to shoot with as well. So, I mean, it's all good, but that was a fun experience. Um, it's interesting because I can kind of see uh, firsthand. I mean, I've always known how they attack a major match, mm-hmm. but it was cool to kind of watch their gears. Um, this was
0: the first time you shot on the super squad. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Yeah.
1: At, at a national level, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've shot with pretty much the guys. That, I don't know if they call them super squads, but yeah, at other majors. <laughs> but um yeah, it it was it was interesting. So, like I, I, you know, the first day they're going out there just trying to have a clean day. It's not, you know, but by day two and three, decisions are being made, you know, on on how to push or how to move or how to capture some more points and and climb up. And you know, by the last three stages, the the wheels either go off or people get catch on fire. So it it was kind of cool to watch that kind of shape up in person.
0: Yeah, I mean, and so what were your goals going into that?
1: My, you know, my goals changed a little bit. I actually, my goal was to finish top 10, um, you know, be 90% and shoot my best game. Uh, reality speaking, I knew I hadn't had the opportunity to train to probably, you know, win nationals. And I, I haven't really seen myself at the top. But I know I haven't also shot my best game yet, um, like for where my skills exist right now. So, like, that's all mental. It's between the years. So, I was like, man, if I can just go in and shoot better that myself, I you know there was, there was one match that I did that, and I really pushed where my skills were, and I remember it was that extreme euro, and even Mason and Kaylee came up to me afterwards like i we're really proud of you because you know that's the best we've ever seen you shoot, and it wasn't that I had gained more skills, it was just mentally I was focused, and that's what that feeling is what I wanted to deliver at nationals, yeah. because I feel like, at world shoot the stress the length of the match. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot more ups and downs. I, I feel like most people aren't going to shoot their best, mm-hmm. um, mentally. So like, if I can, that's my biggest dividends. If I can find a way to mentally focus and bring out, you know, my best, even at, at this point, that's going to do really well at world shoot. So that was kind of my goal. And and I didn't get a lot of time to train leading up to nationals. Like I thought, Um, You know, work just had me traveling. I was taking off pretty much all of November and December from work. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of overseas trips uh, with my job. So I literally had just come back from London uh, for two weeks uh, prior and then went right to nationals. So I don't think it necessarily hindered me. But, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I shot a lot of matches Pan American right before that. And I shot a handful of majors this year and did really well. I won a few. so. I felt confident um, and the layoff, I, you know, I always feel a little bit better. Um, my hands relax, my muscles aren't as tense and things kind of flow. So yeah. my goals this year kind of changed. So to like top 10, kind of 90% of the, the winner comparing how hot the winner shot that year. <laughs> uh, Cause that can really set off the curve, you know, uh, yeah. some people can go yeah. crazy, but um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty happy with our I finished. I had a really good beginning and a great end. And that's, you know, the middle, middle was a little out. shaky. The middle, I I, I think I, I started to try to push it and shoot beyond my skill level and not my game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was a great lesson. I think, you know, the le- best lessons learned are those. And yeah. Nationals served that purpose. It prepped me for world shoot because now I can identify that and not let a whole day go by. Right. I can pick up right. on that after a stage maybe even two at the most and adjust and, and save that day. Yep. Uh, and Casey Reed came up to me after nationals and like Mason K at check and said the exact same thing. That's where you need to be mentally mm-hmm. day three, you know, after a day two to overcome that as well, and then just go back to shooting your game and have a very clean day. Um, so yeah. I was pretty proud of that.
0: Do you think taking the deer head from the house helped you on day three? <laughs>
1: Of course, those guys, those guys keep it light. I mean, come on, this sport's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the question is, will the deerhead be at the Boneyard podcast when that starts up? That'll be question.
0: You know, nobody you know, mentioned it in the background. Were you there for that? Never mind. So um, to to yeah. digress. Uh, I wanted to talk about production to you. Like, so you are predominantly, or is production been like the only division that you've ever shot?
1: Uh predominantly. Um I've shot PCC limited open single stack and carry optics. So I shot everything but revolver, revolver. but like Which I actually want to do. I have a revolver. Me so too. I actually want to shoot. I've but uh it. I don't have like a belt set up, so it'll probably never happen unless I you know, like JJ I start pulling mags out of my back pocket at Nationals. <laughs> but uh um I think he actually did that. But I'll make that sure.
0: I'll make us a belt we can like share because I really want to shoot revolver.
1: Yeah. But not anything serious. I was testing out a PCC gun because our work was looking to switch our subguns, and I wanted to run it through the ringer a little bit. Um,
0: So would you say PCC is actual practical shooting?
1: Yes, but I don't think it pushes competitors. So like in law enforcement, most law enforcement military don't get to train like USPSA competitors. Right. You know, people right. often ask me, what do you think the average law enforcement officer shoots at? And, you know, if you really take a true average, I I would bet a Bravo. You know, like so if you look at a Bravo skill level where where they what they've been able to achieve, right? Some good fundamentals. Um, they just really haven't pushed themselves and to develop those those skills a little bit. Like you put a PCC gun in their hands at the distances of a pistol match targets and stuff, yeah, you instantly get better. Now in law enforcement, military, you add stress onto that because you know in USPSA people don't shoot back at you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, having you know a, a butt stock and a cheek well, you know. Um, is, is a big advantage, you know, when you start losing some visual perception and stuff like that because of stress, right? Yeah. And that's, it's, it's not the same stress as going to a major match. I mean, to, to kind of be that way. So yeah, like from a practical sense, a sub-gun is real. The problem is you, you can't replicate the things that I'm talking about. Skill yeah. levels evolve. So, uh, you know, like a Maxim Mundi is not pushing that weapon system in a USPSA match like he could Yep. If we tailored a match for his ability, right?
0: right.
1: Um so I, I think it's tougher. Um
0: I like that Max know, doesn't have his real name, he's just Maximundi. What's that? I like how Max doesn't have a real name, it's just Maximundi, it's just his Instagram handle.
1: <laughs> yeah, I right, fair enough. Max Leodrandus. Yeah, yeah. Um <clears throat> That's funny, I just thought of that. Like I, I didn't even realize I used his handle. But He'll get a kick out of that. All right. But so, yeah, I think there is practical and military and law enforcement applications. We still field sub guns in our line of work. You know, the, the, the ammo capacity and things like that. There's just a lot of tactical advantages for it. Yeah. I just, I feel like just walking right into PCC after shooting seven years of like production and pistol and learning those skills. It, it wasn't as interesting to me. It wasn't as challenging. Um, however, I haven't competed against the best, so I'm, you know, that's uh, that's going to be different. So yeah, I, th- I think it's cool. I just I'm interested to see what Max does with his matches that he's building and yeah, his program. So, yeah, will it, will it fit that weapon system, that platform better? You know, yeah. that's you I need think to get
0: them over on the East Coast is the problem. Right now, it's in like Texas and Utah and Arizona, and we need it out here.
1: Yeah, so that that sounds pretty cool.
0: Um, Okay, so let's talk about with production, the gun you run, what modifications you've made. I know people always ask about guns and gear. So if you want to share that, you got it here with you.
1: Yeah, CZ Shadow 2s. I pretty much, I've shot double single action since I started USPSA. I started with a Glock 34 just because I carry one at work. Not a 34, but a Glock. Mm -hmm. But there are things I didn't like about the Glock. Um, I don't get that choice at work. So I was like, oh, and in the Marine Corps, I shot a Beretta. Mm-hmm. And I was comfortable with the double single. So I got a CZ SPO. one was my first gun that I got. I think I, I talked to JJ, was one of the first like pro shooters that I saw. He came to Fredericksburg for like Area 8 and I saw him shooting it. Um, I got to see it and I was like, oh, that, that's cool. I'll get that. Um, shot Tamfo for a little bit. That was more out of curiosity. Um, I needed a second gun. And I bought a Tamfo there. It was hard to get a second one at that back then they were yeah. kind of hard to get. So I finally got a second one. And then my buddy, Dave Wampler who was shooting had only one CZ and he's like, why don't you some me your CZ? You shoot Tampo I'll shoot CZ. It was just, they were very similar.
0: Just like a swap scene.
1: Yeah. So I gave him my CZ, which he's, I think he still has to this day. Um, uh, my SPO one target, he turned it into a carry gun, but, uh, I went back really to well CZ because there are things I didn't enjoy about the TAMFO. It's a great gun. I think it's personal preference. But one of the things is their trigger guard was always um, – it's squared off. This is a little rounding. But there's a little bevel right here, and theirs was sharp. And that would cut into my thumb. And I built a callus up from all the dry fire and shooting, and it would cut that callus, and I would actually start bleeding, and then my grip would change because yeah. I, I – had a wound essentially if you will yeah. and you know people can make fun of me for having sissy hands it's just a lot of repetition yep. I wanted a gun that didn't make me think about that stuff and the one thing that CZ always does they bevel this and in IPSC you can't make modifications in USPSA I could have probably just filed that no one would have noticed but I was afraid they can IPSC they would see that I changed that right um so I got, I got this one. There was an other issues I had with the Tampo that I could have probably tuned out. I spend enough time. I don't like spending time on guns, which is probably why I'll never be an open shooter. <laughs> but there, I think their double action is a little bit shorter of a throw. So like like if I can make it like that would be a Tampo throw. This is a CZ throw. And that makes a difference on primers. And back then I was loading on a 650. You couldn't really crush the primer that well. Yeah. Um. And I would get light strikes if I used anything other than federal. There you go, Luke. There's a plug for you, buddy. Um, <laughs> but then federals are hard to find, right?
0: Yeah. I have so, I have a lot right now, but it, um, green top is the one that's getting it in.
1: Correct. Yeah. Um. So I, I wanted to go to CZ again because they have a longer throw, and I never had that problem. I could run pretty much any primer. Now I have a 1050, probably not as big of a deal because I can kind of crush the primer a little bit but i just i don't like spending a lot of time on getting my guns running. Uh, that's don't another reason why i
0: like likes it, but you're right, open is not fun right. for that. yeah.
1: <laughs> um but with with the shadow 2s these run um pretty much forever. i mean, i might have to change out the barrel at one point, you know, because i i really wore it out, but i don't have to worry about my magwell getting beat up. i can change the grips to fit mine, which i played with a couple of, you know, throughout the years but i have pretty much settled on these uh scales the profile
0: mm-hmm.
1: they have some new ones eh, I'm, I'm playing with them still um i i'm hoping i'm still asking you man if these are going to be legal for world shoot uh, i'm really okay. really nervous on it so i'm going to take the other the newer versions which aren't scaled
0: yeah
1: um because
0: that'd, be, that'd but, be fun to go overseas and then find that out and be like bye <laughs>
1: That's kind of how it happened at Pan American this year, but then they ended up letting them go after they kind of hounded me to change them. So I was like, Oh, so like Jake got to use his scales, but I changed mine back to Hennings because the guy I went to wouldn't let me use these.
0: That seems unfair and not figured out for a major match, but what do I know? I
1: know. Okay. I'm asking him and I told him, Hey, They've allowed these at Extreme Euro. They've allowed these at Pan American. There's yeah. no way within the same year they should not allow them at World Shoot. Right. I think they don't like the holes. It's not so much they claim the profile's thicker, but I don't think they like the holes. The look of it. They think it's like dangerous or too too flashy or something. I don't know. I can't. Which I actually like the holes, not for the look, but uh, I don't have to use as much pro grip. Yeah. Because it doesn't use like a spike for purchase. It your hand sucks into it. Yeah. So and not using a lot of program keeps my hands kind of going a little bit longer. Um, Well, probably
0: helped at the uh, Pan American where you had to put your hands in water. You didn't have to have an off, and you got to grab the gun just fine. These would have
1: been much better for that stage. Absolutely, Yep. (laughs) That didn't bother me as much as I thought, but yeah, that that was interesting. But uh, yeah, I I like these. Um, They're accurate. They run. You know, I, I have five of them now two carry optics, three productions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, setup wise, I don't, I do a lot to it. Um, pretty much I get a bunch of Cajun parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically what I'm trying to do is work the reset. Um, so I don't, I don't have too much. I don't know if you can see. Yep. I leave a little bit, but I could take all that out because I hand fit the disco okay. and I used to fit it a lot closer, but then I like to prep coming into position and, uh, at one match, I, I had an ND. It was in a safe direction, but I will admit I didn't intend to, for it to go off. And from that moment on, I, I said, "All right, I give myself a little bit more slack." Um, and I've never were, had a problem since.
0: You were aiming at a target, though.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was during a, a reload. Um, yeah. You know, it just—it's very sensitive. If you get it to that back wall, yeah. I think my finger had just started coming down after the reload, and I was marrying it up and because I was probably resetting my hand a little bit after the reload, I set it off and, and it wasn't intended. Yeah. So I, I like to give myself a little bit more pre-travel. So I say that to anyone, you know, you don't really need that much. You can marry it up and, and, and then break the trigger.
0: So what's but, the weight uh, on the first pull and uh, single action pull?
1: You know, I've never actually weighed it. Um, I know it's, I know it's IPSC legal. Um, so it's not as light as it could go. Yeah. I, I'll tell most people I run an 11 and a half main spring. In the CZ, in the Tampos, I ran a 13, okay. which puts me, you know, uh, I, well over the IPSC requirement. Yeah. So, some people run like 8s, 8.5s and things, or cut coils. I, I Honestly, the, the factory trigger is probably good enough uh, yeah. for me. I, the weight doesn't bother me. I What I really look for is the reset, how much pre-travel there is, and over-travel. And I have no over-travel. I have a little bit of pre so I can marry out my finger to the trigger coming in on a target. Um, and then I have a real clean break. I know some people will roll the Sears. I don't like that. I like to, I like when I intend for it to go off, I just want it to fall yeah. and break. So um, there is some things I've noticed about the CZs and I'm thinking I'm going to release a video on this on my YouTube channel, but uh, so Let me see. I don't know if you can see this pin right here that the retaining pin here. Yep So that goes in underneath the sear cage, right? Uh, Which you can see the sear cage here in the back and I ended up taking the pin out of the trigger here because I replaced this with a free-floating pin and that roll pin I put in here. It's a little bit longer than the factory one Okay, all right, if you guys are still following me, so it pushes up on the bottom of the sear cage and that takes any little rocking out of that cage. And what I notice is like on a double, when I'm pulling, or even a single, I can kind of feel it. On some guns, just based on tolerances, and, it, and most people probably don't even notice until I said this, but I can feel that little rock. I call that creep. Or people use that term for trigger creep or whatever. Mush. Uh, I wouldn't say it's mush, but more creep. Like I'm like, oh, it didn't break. I feel a little movement right before the break. That's usually the sear cage just kind of moving with the sear. Well, to get that play out, Hopkins taught me use it, use this pin. It's a little bit longer. You're gonna have to fit it because mm-hmm. every gun's different, and it pushes up on the bottom of that sear cage, and that takes basically once you put that cage in perfect fit, it won't move. That's cool. So that's that's honestly, I have had to do that at one out of three guns. Okay. Um, so it's not every gun.
0: Yeah.
1: That's probably the like. The most interesting thing to do on these guns, um, that, and I replace all my trigger return springs with CZ custom ones because I've broken a few CZ factory ones, so I don't trust them as much. Right. Um, and that's honestly, in all fairness, that's on my dry fire gun, which I really work. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've, I've actually changed my dry fire. So I used to do the double pull, like Ben says, and then do like this, you know, for every pull after. Mm-hmm. but now i will usually do this put my safety up because i can kind of because i always pull my finger off the trigger anyways and now i know where it's at every time hmm. so i usually keep it in single action when i dry fire now cool. um and i feel like it, it's helped me a little bit it's helped yeah. me be a little bit more precise with that single up action pull. that's
0: cool okay so I know we didn't dive too far into it, um, but talking about that mental game, so coming from Nationals and going into World Shoot, I know we talked offline about this, but what's your game plan for that and why Like, it's focusing on that mental game so important?
1: Yeah, because I think it's battle the nutrition at World Shoot. Anytime you have a long match, um, any any match over one day, there's a whole another mental, in my opinion, a mental aspect because you go home, you think about your performance, you think about other people's performance, just naturally, right? Because uh, it's a competition, and um, I think the longer a match goes, there's the more opportunity for you to start to doubt yourself as an athlete um, start to have ambition or wishes or regret and all those negative thoughts just have opportunities to come in on a longer match like the world shoot
0: yeah
1: so nationals being and pan-american being multiple days like those are opportunities to see how well you can stay in your game and your focus um And that's what Nationals and Pan American really served for me is to really just work on my mental game because it's hard to replicate that at home. There are things I do in training to replicate that. Nowadays, I would say in the last two years, uh, which has really helped me, um, I use usually shorter, more frequent training sessions. So like I already trained today. After this, I'm going to train again versus one long session. Because I care more about my cold starts and really yep. helps me be accountable for those that first thirty minutes, forty minutes of my training, because that's probably more realistic of how I'm gonna form in a match. Yep. Um so I, I rather like shoot rather than go to the range like I used to for four hours and just grind it out, I now go for like thirty minutes, maybe an hour if you include setup time and breakdown.
0: When you said twice, too, this is in your backyard.
1: Yes. During the week I shoot in my backyard on the weekends, I usually work on more movement and more intricate things. Uh, some, you know, at a, at a club, Northern, okay. usually Northern Virginia <laughs> gun club or I go with some friends to Fredericksburg. That's um, but yeah, on the weekdays, I work on my fundamentals a lot more cause I have more of like a, I don't know, five by 30 yard bay, if you will, in my backyard with a berm and I can, it's just harder to move there. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I work on unique things. I usually break things down. So, you know, it, it's it's good to get the repetition in, you know, throughout the week. And then I can go in the weekend and really work on some harder stuff.
0: Yeah. So, okay, I, I watch your videos. Um, talk about the drills that you're running in the backyard. The uh, hard leans, the uh, no shoots, all yeah. of the things. <laughs> what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that have been a world shoot, Ben and Mason and Sal and Casey. And, you know, most recently I hosted Ben's class here and I picked his brain a lot. And, you know, I asked him, you know, what, what at this point in time would you be working on? And, uh, I really respect what he says. And he, and he said, you know, work on some of that accuracy on some very tough shots. Uh, because, and I think, you know, I can read into why you probably said that is USPSA doesn't really test the accuracy to the level IPSC can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying, like, every shot is hard in IPSC, but they do have harder shots than you'll typically see in USPSA. Um, and that's made – when I say harder shots, it's usually the partials cover up a little bit more, the distance. Um, the the shooting off balance was one of the things he said to work on. Um you know, usually when we have leans at 10 yards, that's negligible. I can get away with a lot there, even if, you know, off balance and stuff. But, like, 20, 30, maybe a swinger, like, a little bit harder. Or a steel six-inch plate, like, we'll probably see a world shoot on a lean is a little bit different. So, you know, and then low ports and high ports, we're pretty good about that in USPSA. It's just uh, yeah, something something you don't see unless you go to majors as much, and it's usually, like, one or two stages.
0: Not a national. Kidding? I was like a bajillion.
1: <laughs> yeah, th- it was good. I'm glad they had ports, and I'm, I'm hoping yeah. they, you know, maybe some of the whoever, you know, Shannon or whoever did some of the designing, you know, use, used that to kind of prep some of the world shoot guys, right? For sure. Um, and it was nice. You know, we saw Ipsic targets and stuff like that in there. Um, but with that being said, so in my backyard, those are opportunities I can just work on leaning shots, mm-hmm. uh, kind of collect that data. Um, I noticed some things, you know, the the day that you're speaking of Mm -hmm. that on the hard, hard leans, I had a tendency to push through the A zone to the left. And I think that's, um, I don't think that was vision. I think that was just, you know, the way I was holding the gun and seeing the sights. Oh, well, I guess vision, but not vision looking at, not looking at the spot on the target or transitioning. Mm -hmm. Those are things I get the opportunity to do. I'll isolate it. You know, I'll just shoot one target and I I, I just want to see, I don't want to rule everything else out. I don't want to be, you know, did my eyes not get to where it needed to be or did I overshoot the gun, you know, not accelerate during my transition things. You just break it down, isolate it, see if there's a negative result and then fix it. Yeah. And if you do that enough, you'll be pretty successful.
0: Okay. So for people like, I'm not going world shoot, but just in general, like dry fire, live fire, what are some like items that test you more than just standing there and shooting a blank target like I noticed you had barrels and hardcover and all of that like what are those that are helpful
1: yeah like if if I wasn't going to world shoot I'd probably be focusing more on fundamentals um I'll tell you like one one tip that I do and I think I think it's beneficial um you know I probably don't have all the, the science degree to really explain this but a lot of people ever since you know Uh, the, the stick up targets for dry fire came about, everybody will put those targets up on a wall, uh, and they got scaled targets so you can replicate distance. I don't really like replicating distance on one focal plane. Um, all that means is the spot gets smaller, but your eye depth perception doesn't change. So I actually, what I do is I make little target stands, um, out of like fault line. Okay. And I'll put scale targets on those and actually put those in my house with real depth uh, because then I can have my eyes go from staring at a small dot down my hallway at, you know, 10, 15 feet to five feet, you know, and adjust and, and see. And one of the things that helped me do is pick up the speed on my vision. Um, you know, it's it's hard to have a sense of that. Like to you can't time that. But you can definitely see it in the results uh, if you pick up how fast your eyes can move, um, and it's something Wansick and I have talked about. Um, I noticed in the beginning of the year, um, I'm you know I'm hindered. I'm like, look, you know, my transitions are slowing down, but I, I feel like I'm applying all the fundamentals the same. And it's like you just need to pick up you know speed with your vision a little bit. Uh, So I'm trying to now find ways to do that and dry fire more. And that's one thing that I felt like was a deficiency is I just plastered all these up on like one wall here, you know, scaled targets to replicate distance. And yet my eyes just had to stay on one focal plane. Uh, And now I don't do that. And a lot now I like to actually dry fire outside. Okay. So I'll buy like the little cardboard targets, put them on those same stands. Bear hug five stands, go out my driveway, and I'll set up my dry fire session in my driveway. Did
0: you just say bear hug.
1: Yeah, I like grab them all up. Go. You like my terminology, I right? You know it's very technical. No. <laughs> I'm going to tell Joel Park I need to. I need to write a, a few of these technical terms in his next book, all right? Let me get bear hug in here. Well. <laughs> Definitely definitely worth five dollars more on Amazon per copy. But uh
0: <laughs> do you have neighbors?
1: I I have a few, but they all shoot. I okay, live in Virginia, America. Um No like I'm surprised I'm surprised I don't hear shooting right now.
0: <laughs> but you go out to your driveway in your front yard and you're dry firing at targets pointed at houses.
1: Well I drive I dry fire, I point the target at my garage, if yeah. you will.
0: <laughs> Not like that. Uh, that would be yeah awesome no I, it's always pointed on
1: my property yeah i wouldn't point it at other people's houses driving by but I, I live i live in a very quiet neighborhood you know awesome. big bigger bigger lots and yeah uh, you know the honestly the only thing i have to worry about is people hear me shooting and they want to come over and distract me they want to shoot as well right. and i feel bad i'm like all right come shoot but i really want to get my training in yeah so that's yeah the problem but anyways i, I like dry firing outside because the lighting's usually more accurate um, I think that's more important with iron sights than it is dot in my opinion. Um, and you know, it's just, you can, you can work on depth a little bit better. I can actually use real targets and dry fire in my backyard and stuff. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. And I like being outside. I don't yeah. really like being indoors, but that that's one point I will give people is build natural depth up there. And even if you have stick up targets, usually you can do that. You can find a door in a hallway, put a target on that, open up the door. Then have one further down the hallway. So you, you can still do it with the stick up targets, but you got to get a little bit more creative and yep. use up the whole house and stuff like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I do like little pieces of post it notes all over the place before when people will be like, what are those? Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry
1: about yeah.
0: it. Um, cool. Anything else you want to talk about with that?
1: No, I mean, I, I will tell you like, most people, including myself, probably don't like working on the harder stuff that they're not good at. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you get ambitious in this sport, the gains start getting smaller and smaller on you know the fundamentals and stuff. The more and more, if you really want to grow, focus on those things that you hate doing. So for like me, example, I hate shooting weak hand yep. and strong hand.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but like, I feel so good now. I almost do it in every single live fire practice session at the, at the end, I do the weekend and strong hand and you know, I'll probably post a video, but I was pretty proud on the last day we had um, a freestyle to strong hand stage with some partials at nationals. And I, I you know, I thought I crushed that for my skill level where, where I've been before that I would have walked on that stage and that would have gave me nerves for the next two stages. Right, Like I would have been distraught, like, like oh, here, I got to shoot something that I know my skills completely lacking compared to the, the people I'm shooting with today. And that would have bothered me and broken my mental focus. So like, I was pretty proud that I had worked on that to the point where I stepped up that to that stage. And it was like any other stage. It was almost like taking a break because all I had to do was stand and deliver. Right. So right. in the past, that would have stressed me out for a stage or two. Now it's like I took a break, you know? Yeah
0: just being prepared in general. I think that's the same with me with um, swingers, bobbers and all that stuff he used to really scare the crap on me. Cause I, I, we don't see them in yeah. my locals at all. Cause we don't have them, but now I'm shooting more major matches. I'm like, that's normal. And now my mics are on wide open, you know, perfect targets three feet away, but no, yeah. <laughs> that's been nice. Cause like you said, you will get anxious and then you're already set up for the stage of like failure almost.
1: Yeah. You, you want a high, high confidence. So like, that's a, like a clue. If you go up to a match and you're walking through a match and you're like unsure if you can make a shot. Like that's a clue. Put that, write that note down. All right. Tuxedo at 20 yards from the kneeling. I didn't like that. All right. Then your next practice session, guess what you should be practicing like that. If, if you come to another match and have that same scenario and you're still wondering if you can make that shot, that's, that's not, that's your fault. Yep. You know, you're just giving the field points in that, in that manner. Cause you had the opportunity to correct that. Yep. Um, so like, I, I, I actually get really excited now when I go to majors and I walk on a stage and there's like a moment where I'm like, Ooh, that's tough because I'm like, great. I get, I get to address that in the next practice session. Right. And you can't always for like, you can't always foresee that or think that like, you know, I can run all the drills and, but it it might change. You might, you know, I, I haven't, I've seen all, for example, I've shot a lot of over the top swingers this year. For some reason, just a lot of the majors I went to were over the top one shot, right? Mm -hmm. Well, at nationals we had a swinger that came out, and I could have trapped it. Yeah. And for some reason, I I felt like for a split second in my mind, I was like, "Ooh, I haven't shot that in a while." You know, it's it's actually easier, in my opinion, than shooting over the top. Yeah. But here, that that's a deficiency. So, guess what I'm going to be doing this weekend? Shooting some traps, you know, at distance, making sure like I can cashing those easy alphas. Um, so like everybody should be hunting for those, those opportunities where things you don't like or that you get nervous on or break your concentration. Like those are, those are like nice little nuggets to put in on a notepad. Like Dave Murphy would do and take them right to the practice session. Um, you know, and then c- collect data. Um, I, I see this from all, all the good, all the good shooters will walk and watch their scoring it's not really because, you know, the ROs might make a bad call. I would say one target out of a thousand matches, you know, a thousand calls. They might make a mistake. You might catch it. Mm-hmm. But really, that those that's free data. Like, yeah. oh, I'm over-transitioning. I, I'm shooting Alpha Charlie because I'm just not, you know, seeing that site come back down. I'm already starting to move the gun or something. Like, that's a little adjustment you can make that can save you a dozen Charlies in the next two stages, right? Yeah. So, like, I see a lot of, younger shooters not walking the stages and shooting like the buzzer you know their last shot goes off they immediately like think of a visual in their head of how that went and i'm like whoa whoa, there's still work to be done like so like i tell like some of my students like you better be going down range and looking at the targets otherwise you probably don't care like you know yep
0: yep so um talk about teaching actually with that you know i know you do instructing And, you know, does that actually help you, too, by teaching? Do you learn stuff as well?
1: Yes. Um, I I don't, like, learn new things, but, like, it keeps it fresh. So, you know, I'm kind of new to the instructing. I I just, my time. So I've only been doing it for, like, two years. And I only have a couple students. And that's kind of, I don't really market it hard, do, like, big classes. Um, But I talked to Mason about it who you know is a professional instructor mason lane and you know he said it will help you um and you know i I think that's he's reflecting on his own experiences um you know i I think it's i think for me it's it's it helped me like stay motivated like I, i i enjoy giving back to people and it gets me out there with a gun training but breaks up the monotony of just focusing on yourself right so yeah i think i think you learn on things and like explaining it just builds confidence like you know like teaching people the different site confirmations and stuff will just keep reinforcing the fundamentals and there's not a lot of secret sauce out there it's just people get better at the fundamentals than others right they put more time into it uh so like yeah I i think it does help you I just don't do it enough to maybe see those those huge gains like maybe Mason does and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's just a time thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. For people that don't know, what is and who are the Boneyard crew? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> like uh, the yeah, there's
1: like a dozen of us. Um, so, Boneyard, Boneyard started with a bunch of friends that just really got an Airbnb and traveled to majors together. Um, so some of those friends are like, you're laughing because we do have a good time. Yeah. Um, case Casey Reed probably you know our ringleader in this front because you know he's a wild man and uh, you get him in the wild and it's it gets interesting pretty quick. Um, but yeah, Casey Reed, uh, Mason Lane, Kaylee Lane, Phil Strader, myself, Luke, Um, Lutman, Um, Darren um there's a bunch I'm probably forgetting and and we every now and then we have some really good guests but you know one of the cool things uh, about the boneyard is it's like an everyday thing so we have a we you know we have a a group text that pretty much you know I've already gotten a couple um (laughs) pretty much doesn't stop um I'm not gonna lie I was I was in London it was probably very late here um and I started seeing text come and I was trying to keep it together because I was on mission and I had to focus, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's around the clock. It, it never ends. Um, some of it's legit talk. A lot of it is just joking around, keeping the mood light. But, you know, I would say in that chat, you know, we're thinking about shooting almost every day, you know, I mean, it's an everyday thing. It's a big commitment.
0: Kind of our lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle. That's well said. Yeah. So, and then really we just, you know, we traveled to all the majors together. So like my major schedule is usually built around a lot of what, you know, the team's going to do, if you will. Um, and then it's fun to get to go places and shoot with your friends, right? Yep. So, so
0: serious, serious question here. Ready? <laughs> Wayne or Shorzy?
1: Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Danger Five and go with one that you didn't list.
0: No. You haven't
1: seen Danger Five yet, have you?
0: No, you have to pick Shorzy. Oh.
1: <laughs> I think right now, Shorzy. Me too. Um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 definitely uh, funny. Um, yeah, it's funny watching with that crew too. Some of these shows. Oh um, it's pretty pretty funny because okay, like they'll so take seriously. they'll take the shows right into the match. It'll be nationals, you know, in case it'll be running around with a drumstick. Um
0: so I was gonna ask you that. What's your favorite uh game stick here? Not drumstick, game yeah. stick.
1: <laughs> or game stick, yeah. Um yeah, I, I think everyone should get game sticks at nationals. <laughs> I think uh my recommendation <laughs> to me. Men,
0: you didn't think that of me. You literally turned like, does she deserve a game stick with a dead frickin' face?
1: <laughs> well, I didn't get to see you shoot, but I think everyone 52, gets a I
0: shot seventy-two percent of Maximundi. I improved fifteen percent from last year. And fifteen percent. Fifteen percent.
1: Do you track? You track your stats year over year. Yeah. I like that. I like that. What do you attest What do you test your improvement to? Oh,
0: I, I you wrote a put whole more
1: article. time into this year.
0: Yeah, I wrote a whole article. So I took a Mason Lane class. That was big. Um, Did you work on
1: movement? Hold on. Did you work on movement with Mason?
0: Yeah, I mean, he went on some of that. I mean, it was mostly fundamentals because there wasn't a lot to move. But the movement is my biggest piece, not just with him, but when I'm in training here with a GM, a friend of mine. And yeah, Yeah. yeah. But working on what I don't like. So it was hardcover tuxedos no shoots mini poppers <laughs> um but yeah movement's been big for me and then every single like match i've i didn't dedicate every time to pcc but i, I did put a lot into it yeah Yay. awesome
1: congratulations
0: thanks so i deserved a game stick yeah.
1: yeah and your equipment ran
0: uh yeah sort of yeah i had two two no, issues. No major issues two small issues that wasn't fun on the speed shoot stage. That sucked. But I worked through it. Still still had fun. I had one Charlie, I think, on that stage. But it threw me for that's a second. So I had to rack a round out.
1: Uh, I feel like PCC, that's tough because the guns can be a little bit more finicky. And, man, at a major match. That's just devastating.
0: Yeah. No, I, I my gun ran. I was just a couple hiccups that weren't major, thank God. Last year, I cool. went... Last year I had problems, but PCC are a beast. You have to find a working gun is 90% of the problem right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> um, it probably, do you have two of them or just one?
0: Do I have two? I have two primary. So I have the Da Vinci is my primary. I have the Brecky is my backup. And then I have the one. I like the now. colors. The, this is Harry Potter. So <laughs> for people that don't know, got all the engravings. I saw them. That's that pretty off, cool. So good. You got your wand and your, uh,
1: is that anodized?
0: It's Cerakoted, and then, I don't know what he did. I think my buddy, like, it's Creekside that's, Custom. That's
1: Cerakote? I, I haven't seen a Cerakote with, like, that little sheen to it. That's pretty cool.
0: Creekside Custom lasering is my dude, and then he painted little footsteps from the Marauders map. Yeah, no, this is legit. And then he did my my three-gun Kenzie, so it's got all my logos on it. I it like custom. Cool. You can
1: get, yeah, you can get a little bit more custom-y with uh, the PCC guns. Those yeah. are cool.
0: Thank you. But um, well, we digress. But anyways, um, what I wanted to ask you next to about is, like, you don't have to go into it too much, but like, what do you do for work? Um, and talking about like the importance to when you pick guns, like you had two of the same guns, right? I have two of the basically same guns. How important is that to stick to the same controls?
1: Um, for like, for people that are professionals that yeah. are also in the sport. Yeah. I would say starting out, I would I would I would stay very similar because there's a lot of thought process going. So like if you carry a Glock, I wouldn't go go to a double single action starting out in USPSA, and that's not necessarily for familiarity. That's just because you're going to be processing so much. I wouldn't want that to affect you at work. Which you know, if it could save your life, that matters more than any sport. Yep. But, but once you get to a a high skill level, like I can, you can put a a bunch of different guns in my hands. Like I, I can process how that gun operates. Like I don't, you're not, you're not going to see me thinking my Glock does a double pull on the first pull. Like I know, but, but you know, that takes time. You know, you, you gotta start being able to do things subconsciously with ease, and you'll know that, you know, if you're still trying to get your gear right in USPSA, that's not the time to try something different. If you're professional, like still work on, on, you know, getting the ground. Like if you're missing targets in PSBA, cause you haven't figured out a stage plan yet and visualize it, don't switch to a different gun or a different platform. So like, but so for me, like I carry a Glock at work, um, a Glock 19, but I, I shoot a double single, um, you know, It doesn't bother me. I I watch it, but there are some things that if I wasn't a professional, I probably would have changed. For example, I probably would have done bullets out um, Mm -hmm. and your mag pouches where the bullets face outward versus forward. um, Because I feel like I can get a a more comparable grip no matter where I'm at on my belt. And I like consistency. Um, But at work, I don't carry them that way for, for many reasons. So like I still go bullets forward, and I do notice like when you get to that third or fourth pouch, you're not getting the same grip as your first pouch. Yeah. Um, you know, for that pretty much only bothers people for production. Um, <laughs> you know, all the other divisions, you don't have to carry four or five mags, but um, seven
0: thousand.
1: That's the division I shoot, right? Yep. Um, I don't think it matters what bullet you shoot. I mean, at work I'm shooting plus P's, none of them. I mean, unless I'm shooting an open gun, it's not going to feel like it is. Um, you know, nowadays people at work can probably have options to shoot dot or iron sights, but I kind of probably side with JJ still on this one. I still like iron sights. Dot Dots have advantages. Um, the biggest advantage I usually see for carry optics and dot is low light, which we don't really experience in uspsa unless you're luke <laughs> um but the dot <laughs> do you know what i'm talking I about i saw the one? video and
0: then yeah, yeah. <laughs> um
1: the the dot's important for low light and i'll be honest with you that's probably the single biggest advantage for most professionals because shit usually hits the fan at nighttime <laughs> in, in the military and law enforcement right so I really like that as a strength. And then there's a lot of studies and some issues with um I won't get into it now, but with uh um you know, like night sights for iron sights and stuff, um, they're always glowing, which means people can see you in the dark. So there's some disadvantage to that. And then also like if you really need night sights, can you really identify your target? I mean, in law enforcement, we don't just spray and pray. We got to articulate usually in court afterwards or with our internal affairs or whatnot, what we saw when we at the time we shot. So, like, when you start doing those things, like a flashlight becomes much more important than night sights. But so I I do like the dot for the light. The problem is I just haven't found one that's as reliable Um, or and then I I carry concealed because I'm usually in a suit. Yep. So, like, it's just extra weight and extra bulk. It's a snag hazard for my draws. You yep. know, if I was, like, a SWAT team member or something, I got a, a drop leg holster, maybe not as big of a deal there, you know. But then again, that's probably a backup weapon. So, like, still you still need it? Like, so, am yeah, I think I side with JJ on this one, and I, I respect JJ because, you know, he was, I think, with Homeland Defense and a Firearms Instructor and really thought about these things for many years as well as my instructors. And there are a lot of advantages, but I just – I'm just not there yet personally Yeah. where I do. There are some other advantages and you have to factor it in is we have a lot of older officers and agents and stuff and your eyes start to go. So like, I think it helps them stay target focused and stuff like that helps them pick it up a little bit, be a little bit more accurate. Yep. Um, so that's a great thing, you know, because you, when you get older, there's some things you can't correct with your eyes. Right. So, and usually it's that near sight. That's why you see a lot of, you know people with reading glasses and stuff right because you can't correct that yet i hope by the time i'm that that old they they find a way to do that but so like for iron sights you know seeing 16 inches that's tough to get maybe a crisp picture um for like a precision shot or something like that or even just to pick them up blurry enough to stay target focus to to know they're aligned so like the dots are very cool in, in that regard but you know I would never carry this on the job because it's just way too heavy.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I have to carry this every single day. Um, But man, I, I I do wish I had this in a gunfight because this is what I shoot more than my agency weapon. And I know it works. I know what I can do with it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Although I may, I may not be correct on this, but I think CZ is widely, the most widely used firearm handgun in law enforcement. When you factor in the whole world, because they're really big in Europe. In Europe, okay. Um, you know, Glock has a big market share here in the United States, but when you think of the world in law enforcement, I think the SPO one is like one. Of, maybe still, maybe not so much with the, the in the last five years with polymer guns, yeah, because of the weight factor. But I know when I first got into CZ, that was one of the facts that I saw. I was like, wow, that is the most used law enforcement weapon. So that's kind of a cool fact. I think I don't know we'll if it's just, true today.
0: We'll just find out in the comments. I'm sure at some point. <laughs>
1: Yeah, go go back to 2014 when I got my SPO1 and that was a fact. Was a fact. Uh, at least I, I researched it. And the funny thing is when I went to Italy and some other places, like I saw people carrying the SPO one. I'm like, oh. I kind of like val- loosely validated with no real data. But I was like, I see it on a law enforcement officer. Because you don't see it in the states. You don't see people carrying Shadow 2s on their hips on the no. States. Um with that well, you know, with that being said, um, you know, I, I like having a striker fire for law enforcement if I can rule out as many controls as possible because stress does some funny things to the minds. I mean, yep. I, I've seen people, for example, and, and our instructors make sure this is self-corrected beforehand, but I've seen officers show up to the range. And they used to have the BlackBerry belt clips and they put it as their first mag pouch, you know, because that's where you carry your phone on your belt. Yep. I've literally seen an officer draw his blackberry back in the day. They had blackberries. We had blackberries um, and try to shove it in his gun.
0: <laughs>
1: so, like when, when you're, when you're, uh, this is during simulation training.
0: Yeah.
1: When, when you're put under stress, you know, your body does some weird shit. So yep. I try to keep it very simple for work. Um, I try to keep my belt set up very similar to work. So my guns in the same position, but as far as the gun controls, you know, I don't have to use the safety. Yeah. Uh, I may I may switch to limited this year, um, or next year, I mean, just because, honestly, production is kind of dying. Yeah. And I want to compete against the best, so I may go carry optics limited next year and just shoot production for, like, nationals and stuff. Um, We'll see. Yeah. If I make one more run at a world shoot, I don't know. If, if I did, it would probably have to be production because that's my division, but <laughs> – there's a lot of good shooters coming up. Man, I'll tell you, looking at carry optics this year, it's scary how many good shooters are out there. Yep. So that's really interesting. I can't wait to shoot some carry optics.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the division. You saw the stats that came out, I think, today or yesterday from USBSA. Yeah,
1: Re- that's Revo is
0: Revo's like 1.9%. <laughs> yeah. I want
1: to
0: try it. Um, so, okay. I think, oh, go ahead.
1: I think they should move to 15 rounds, personally. Yeah. i'm not for changing production but now i am uh i mean i wish i could keep it the same but the bottom line is practicals in our name Mm -hmm. nobody carries 10 rounds anymore and you know i people always made the argument what about the states that can't have more than 10 round magazines i looked at most of those states do you know what the most shot division is in most of those states open Open, okay. So your argument is some states can't have 10-rounders, yet people choose to shoot open guns. Like, hmm. people don't – it's not that impacting is my point. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I think most – I mean, even the, the SIG P365, which I think SIG holds a 365 match, carries 13 rounds. So it's not practical anymore. And then um, we're designing stages in USPSA uh, more – more for high cap because look you got pcc you got open you you know really push the thresholds of high cap right then you got limited high cap and carry optics 21 rounds or 22 right so everyone's shooting high cap so it's hard for these stage designers to make it fun for production and revolver unfortunately and single stack when they're trying to design for what most people are shooting so like go to 15 rounds i think it actually gets more technical it aligns us with IFSIC, so I don't have to train two different ways or think two different ways. Yep. If you shoot internationally, like I think it's time. I wish we didn't have to change it, but I think it's with carry optics coming on board. I think it's and PCC in the last couple of years. It's definitely yeah. We're going high cap, and that's more practical. That's what most people carry. All you know, 10. more than ten rounds, and who gets you know? I would say ninety percent of our membership or more probably gets more than 15 rounders in, in the box when they buy a gun these days. Oh yeah. So yep. just, I think that that would be a nice evolution and that might help production a little bit mm-hmm. because I think uh, people will enjoy shooting it with the type of courses they're seeing at their local matches, you know, versus having to do standing reloads or not having enough shots because they couldn't knock down the steel and having to do yep. a standing reload yep. and feel maybe a little embarrassed to have to stand there because they didn't get the steel. Like people like having that extra ammo because It helps them get through the course when they're first starting out, I think. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, For me, it gets more technical because now my transitions change or my entries and exits change because, you know, I I might have to blend two positions. I might shoot on the move where I didn't shoot on the move because my round count was too risky. So it actually gets harder and more technical. And I think you'll see, like, for example, I think if we shot this Nationals with 15 rounds, you would see a lot more stage – Pondering at the super squad level. Yeah. Like, are right, you, you going to shoot that on the move? I mean, Jake hellington will shoot it on the move even if he goes to 10 rounds, <laughs> but most everyone else will not. And I say that because Jake shot a course that was high risk, high reward. He shot on the move with a very low round count on a sequence, and it paid off. And he ended up getting six, six seconds on the super squad, but nobody else on the super squad shot it that way. And, you know, if memory serves me right, that's because he took a big risk there. Yeah. You know, so I think my point to that is even at the high level, you're going to see people be more challenged with 15 rounds because they might get aggressive where they wouldn't have, you know right. what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. And it will let even that playing field. Then if you're all shooting on the move at that point, rather than just yeah. the one guy who's going to risk it. Yeah. But I,
1: I like to, I, I, you know, with that said, I'm more conservative in that front. I don't like changing the rules. I, I wish we could just keep it the same, but
0: we've already changed it know. once, twice, a couple of times.
1: Eh. yeah you know the funny part is the weight limit thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: i i i almost feel like this gun's a little too heavy which is why i don't use brass grips it's a little nose heavy for me um you know if i could change anything i'd probably change this dust cover make it a little lighter and i'd probably get rid of the tri-top i okay. would round this off so i could do it over the top pinching a little easier but i get it they had to save some weight so the tri top does save some weight which is in the right place to save weight but i just want to get rid of the little nose weight now you can offset that with brass grips but then i'm transitioning more weight yep and i don't okay. like that so you know this gun for me is almost perfect i would just reduce this dust cover maybe take away the tri top and then you know probably keep everything else the same
0: <laughs> i like it uh, yeah,
1: it's a about- blending of the tampo and
0: a the Uh Since you're law enforcement, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, like getting into prepping and home defense and like preparing with family, you know, what do you recommend people like kind of start with on having like a home defense plan, gear? Like what should they be looking at?
1: Yeah, so great question. Uh, it's kind of cool. I haven't got to talk about this. <laughs> so for most people, and this kind of goes, I do protection for a living so I, I go all around the world with some of our senior leaders and we look at it from 360 coverage and go from one secure location to another so we have a lot of these concepts right and one of them is um, being proactive like if you're already in a gunfight you probably made mistakes or didn't take opportunity to take advantages to prevent that so for example um, I would tell people like for home defense you have to have a system in place. I don't care about if the door kicks in if a siren goes off. You should know if someone approaches your house before they uh, get the opportunity to announce they've approached your house. Mm-hmm. So like with this day and age now, it's very convenient to get motion sensors yep. set like a geofence around your yard and at like 10 o'clock at night, if someone walks in your driveway, you should get like a little chime in your house before they get up to your door. Because like that early warning gives you time to prep. It might give you time to wake up, think consciously about what's going on. Why, did, why is my alarm going off? Was the flag flapping in the wind that set it off? Or is somebody in my yard? Right? Yep. It'll give you that split second to regroup. Where's my flashlight, my gun, my phone? Right? Where are my loved ones? Mm-hmm. You know, should I initiate the family emergency plan? Not... So like my first my first people for like home defense would be like early warning. And then that carries over to when you're out in town. So like when I'm out in town, like, you know, I can't help it but to know where my exits are when I yeah. walk into places and I always wanna see the front door. Yep. Um so like if I go into like a bonefish restaurant, mm-hmm. I want my seat near the exit and I wanna be facing where the front door is. So like if oh, someone yeah. comes through that front door and starts shooting, I know where my exit is, right? And my friends and that-
0: about me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it's like all early warning, early detection. Like don't put yourself in a situation and your first thought should be how fast can I get out of this situation without going into self-defense mode, right? Um, And that's where you should invest most of your time because you do not want to be in a gunfight, like prevent it, right? There are things you can do. If someone enters my property, the first thing I do is turn my lights on to let them know I know you're on my property or let them think that I know that, right? The second thing I will start doing is you announce yourself. You know, I know you're there. Like, then they, they know you know they've lost the advantage, right? Yep. If they're still that aggressive to come in, well, then we get into the the, the next level, right? Uh, you should have a family plan. Um, that family plan should always be putting enough barriers between you and the threat and not trying to engage, right? I see, so, I think, you know, I watch on YouTube, as Ben would say, all these Tactical promoters and stuff. Like, it's not fun to be in a gunfight. Like, you I never want to be in it. Yeah. Like, that's a last resort. So, I'll, you will not see me clearing my house with an AR 15 and a flashlight if I can hunker down in a room, put five barriers in front of me, gather my loved ones, and call 911. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, um, you know, now I will tell you this I have some tactics. So, like, my strategic plan will gather my loved ones and I do a one plus one. So my loved ones are in one room behind me with an exit could be a window with a ladder. So like, and then I put myself in the room just outside that room. So my family knows if I start acting, if I start engaging, you start escaping. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm your last resort. So I call it one plus one. Yeah. So for me, that could be like, you know, I'm in my bedroom at nighttime. You know, I see someone get in my yard. I go and get my son, bring him into my bedroom. You know, I turn on my lights. I see if I can identify the moment. I feel like I can. I know it is somebody All right. We go in our met ma- I say, get in the bathroom open up the window and drop the ladder Don't wait for wait for my commands, right? Yep. If I start shooting and I tell you to to evac then like you're going like yeah. and you know where to go You have a plan. You have your cell phone with you. You have a flashlight You have your own pistol and you're going to the neighbors, right? Because we know they're home or you're going here uh, um so like that that's like some some basic tactics but don't don't start clearing your house like if you know if you think someone entered your house like call 911 let the professionals come and engage right um you know i i also you know there's a lot of like self defense things like um If you have windows to your front door and someone comes up to your door at 10 o'clock at night, like they shouldn't know that you're coming up to the door. You want to be able to approach your front door at nighttime without people knowing you're approaching it, right? You want to be, have a mechanism to visually know who's at your front door before you open it. Like these seem like fundamentals, but like, I just caught my mom the other day, you know, like, mom, why are your blinds open with the two windows on the side of your doors? Yep. And you didn't turn the light on. You don't even know who's at the front door. You you have your ring doorbell, but like the, it was so dark, you couldn't even tell who it was. Yep. You know, it was an Amazon guy because now it gets night time earlier. You know, yeah. so it was an Amazon yep. guy. But like, you didn't know that. Nope. You know what I mean? Yep. Um. So like, these are the things. Like, just you know, give your give yourself time. Don't rush to the problem if one presents itself, and call the professionals. If they can intervene, only intervene in his last attempt. So like, that's my advice to a lot of people uh, on the self defense. And then as far as like weapon selection and stuff, like, you know, make sure you train with what you use. That seems funny, but I know a lot of people just go out and buy a handgun and then yep. they never shoot it. They, they figure out how to load it. And that's enough to them. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, go out and train with it. Feel confident when it feel comfortable, you know, I, I, let my wife shoot a bunch of different guns to see what she liked. And she actually liked something that I didn't think she would like, yep. you know, and I asked her and it made sense to me. So like, you can't think for other people, like yep. let them, let your loved ones try what works for them. My wife doesn't like my AR 15. It's a little heavy for her. She's about four foot eight, you know, Filipino lady. And it, you know, as that weight gets a little further away from her frame, it, it's harder. Yep. Um, same thing with the shotgun. So I'm not going to put that in her hand. Mm-hmm. um you know she doesn't feel comfortable with it yeah if she doesn't feel comfortable with it on a controlled setting how she gonna feel when her life's on on the line you know yeah. so like just find what works for you and then you'll see you'll evolve don't just accept that as you get into this industry and stuff i think people evolve and they'll, they'll adapt the, the newer technology comes out like it's kind of like a, a a pursuit and if you if it becomes a hobby for you even better right yeah. if it becomes yeah. a sport and fun because now you're getting both rewards you're you're growing skill sets that also help you in the self-defense world. And that's why I really like the second amendment community. And I like the firearms industry because, you know, a lot of the sporting events also prepare people to defend themselves.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I you want know, to ask and, too on, on, um, going back to the home defense too. Do you think like soft armor, hard body armor, what about like medical kits, stuff like that? I mean, do you have that kind of game plan yeah. for the family as well?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, so I'm really big on medical kits because I, you know, I carry one on on my day. And like we have a saying at work, we're more likely to use our medical kit than our sidearm. Yep. So like it's the first thing that goes on. Um, because, you know, people can get injured for many more reasons yeah. than a gunfight. Oh,
0: I know. Every uh, day. I think right here.
1: Last, yeah. Last year, I responded to three motorcyclists that went down mm-hmm. that were more gruesome than some gunshots that you could see. You know, yeah. like... Um and I'm glad I had those medical supplies. Now that you can improvise and stuff, but it's nice when you know you have gear that you can work with that you've trained with. One thing I'll give like a little little pro tip. Um I know there's a big debate on tourniquets. There are some quality ones out there, there's some certified ones. I like the cat tourniquet for work, but for my three-year-old, that cat tourniquet's not gonna work. His limbs are too small. So I actually have the rat tourniquet. And the thing I like about the rat tourniquet is it's my backup for work so what I do is I lace that around my belt mm-hmm. and it's tucked under my belt um, and the theory there is if I fall I know I can always probably reach my belt buckle I can just pull it out um, and or my buddies know that that's where I have one and they can get it right. uh, so that's a good backup and then I carry a cat on me but what I like about the Rat turn is it works on my son because it uses an elastic wrap method mm-hmm. that my son has like a two inch arm and it'll work on him being three years old. Yeah. So think about that from a family perspective. If you have smaller children, like these cat tourniquets aren't really designed for that. They're designed for, you know, thighs and legs of bigger people and, and arms of grown adults. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to get really challenged to use that on anyone under five. So I like the rat tourniquet or the SWAT-T. I like the rat a little bit better because you can tie it off a little bit easier than the SWAT tee. And after you get someone a tourniquet, you usually want to get them to a the hospital or something. So I, I don't, you know, want it coming off. Um, so I like that, but there is a technique to the rat T. You know, you want to get two inches when you wrap it. So if you're wrapping over itself, the band is about the, the width of my finger. That's not going to be as effective. So you got to learn how to wrap that, but build like a wrap. That's this thick. Uh, about two inches or two fingers wide, you know, around the arm, or maybe three if you can get it around an arm. I can probably get a three-inch width around my wife with me. I probably won't have enough material. I can, I might have to do two, mm-hmm. uh, and then get it high and tight. Right, that's yeah. that's the t- t- tactic with that. You know, people usually don't get it high enough. Um yeah. But you know, medical supplies. You know, if you have loved ones that have illnesses, make sure you have that, like insulin and stuff, on hand because. When people are induced with stress, usually those medical issues become real. Uh, So like, you know, if you have it. Yeah. Yeah. So like if if my, you know, if my kitchen is near the front door or near, I would have to go into a danger area. if I believe someone broke my house to get insulin from my loved one, you know, to get the one plus one barrier I was talking about earlier. Right. Then I would probably have a small little fridge and they make small ones in my bedroom. Yeah. You know, like the, the, they're specialized for medicine. That way, like, I don't have to leave my bedroom. Here's your insulin. If you, you know, give it to them if something starts happening. Okay. Um, so you got to think like that. So, yeah, medical supplies. Um, you know, those are the big ones. You know, bandages and stuff like that. That's probably not the time. You know, you're just trying to stop yeah. major bleeding and keep the airway open. Um, an armor. You know, what's that? An armor. Armor. So one, one thing people need to remember is, you know, bullets go through walls, but most criminals don't understand that. Uh, so, you know, nine out of 10 times, they're not going to shoot through a wall. There's a famous video out there uh, of an attorney coming out of the courthouse and he had a newspaper in his hand and he was on the steps and a criminal criminal came up to him and it was just pure instinct. Uh, the attorney held the newspaper and the criminal never shot. He was trying to get around the newspaper what because most criminals don't think you know about about it they want a, they want a clear shot they want to shoot at the individual and he did all you had to do is shoot through the newspaper wow but my my point to that story is to be mindful of that because nowadays nowadays there's a lot of video out there criminals can learn a lot very fast the movies depict it a lot better you know you can watch movies you'll see people shooting through walls you know and John Wick and stuff and you know, born identity, he shoots through a door. Like, so criminals may think they, they can do that as well. And it's effective to some degree, especially with rifle cartridges. Yep. So like, keep that in mind. But, you know, there's a difference between cover and concealment. But I think concealment's more important than body armor for home defense. Um, if it's coming down to the point where like, you're needing body armor, you probably didn't take a lot of other tactics yeah. first. Yeah. Like, focus more on escaping and putting more between you on the concealment side between you and the threat yeah so yeah. like I, you know before anyone ever gets my son and child like they gotta get through me in another room like there's yeah. two barriers there but even if they start shooting through the walls i mean they're they're not gonna know where they're at yeah. they're, they're gonna have to get pretty lucky right and then if they get through me my wife and child have already escaped you know what i mean like now you gotta hunt them down right yeah. so like that's more important than me putting a vest on my child With that being said, I do have body armor. Um, I keep it in my car um, because you know I'm more concerned about active threats. So one of my favorite pieces of gear that goes everywhere with me, and it's both um, body armor for my family as well as medical supplies, is the Vertex sling bag. Um, I wish I could go get it. It's in my car right now. Um,
0: Say I have one somewhere.
1: Yeah, but what I what I like about that is. I can carry a sidearm in it and and use it as a draw. I can unzip it and it uh, with a sling and it unfolds and I have two levels of body armor that's actually bigger than my chest armor. Yep. Um, I can put that around my son if if you know I'm in a car. I can grab that, open it up, and put it as a blanket on him. Yep. If I can't get out of dodge, you know I'm trapped in a car or something and traffic or whatever. Um, but you'll usually see me take that to larger events and things like that where I'm concerned about active shooters. Yeah. Um, even a grocery store, I'll take that and throw it in the cart. Um, and then on the front side of that, all my medical supplies. And I've actually used that more times than uh, thank God that I had used the bio armor. But that's usually my go-to. So you know, a traffic accident, I grab that bag. I get down on my knees because most people are on the ground when you're providing medical aid. That's right there. I just rip off the front panel. It's like a quick rip. And like my tourniquets, my quick clot, everything's there. And then there's like a little pocket underneath that I have a Magpul like Ziploc bag. It's a Magpul version. You can do it with duct tape. I used to use that duct tape and Ziploc for a long time. Um, but I like the Magpul one. Um, it holds up a little bit longer. Is that and the I have extra pouch Ziploc.
0: or Daka pouch? I don't know how to say that. Yeah,
1: words. it's like yeah. the Daka pouch. I But I used to use Ziplocs with duct tape. You just yep. put duct tape around okay. and Ziploc and you have the same thing. Okay. But – uh I think someone gave me that and I like it. Um, But I use that. That's my second go-to. So I have two people that are down. Mm -hmm. I have to pull that out and go into my second set of supplies. Yeah. Um, The other thing I'll tell people is car accidents are more prevalent than shootings. So, like, you should be able, from a driver's seat, be able to reach all your medical supplies from the driver's seat without unbuckling. Because if you get in a bad car accident where you're going to need to provide aid to yourself to save your life or a loved one, chances are you're flipped upside down, you're buried, you're, you, know, you can't get out. Um, you need to be able to reach that. So one of the places that a lot of law enforcement will keep it is on the back of their headrest. Mm-hmm. Um, have it right there. Um, if you don't want to have a big medical pouch, at least have a tourniquet and some quick clot. It uh, goes a long way. You can put that in your glove box. You can put that in your door. Um, a lot of people will b- rubber band it to their visor, Yep. Um, and then you and, and can close seen, the visors.
0: We've seen more companies. I'll say that real quick. Uh, make like Molly stuff for the back of the passenger seat or the headrest now, which is really awesome because it integrates yeah. everything that you have. But yeah,
1: yeah, you want to you want to be able to reach it. My favorite is the uh, the sun visor. Yeah, because you can you can find stuff yeah. where you, you can Molly it up top. But then you flip it up and when people get in your car they don't see you're all tactical cool, you know, it's like yeah. all hidden. Yeah. Um but yeah, you want it accessible. I know a lot of people have med kits and it's in the trunk and I'm like, that's good if you're providing aid for other people, but right. that's really there for you. And if you're stuck in your car, how are you gonna get that? Yeah. Right? I have one
0: for me inside and then I have my big bed kit for when I go to shooting matches because <laughs> I also <Yeah>. need that. <laughs>
1: yeah. The the other thing that most people don't think about Um, and I've actually had this happen to me. I got lucky, but, um, I was in a car accident back when I was in the Marines and I passed out and my car caught on fire. I actually woke up when my windshield popped from the heat. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I carry a fire extinguisher and there's some nice ones out there now. You don't have to go get like the big canister ones. Even the small canister ones are big in my opinion. Yeah. There's, uh, there's ones that look like flares. I'm trying to think of the name. Um. I'll send it to you. You can comment it in the the thing, but people are curious, but it looks like a flare and you can usually put that there's, they sell tie downs for right beneath your driver's seat. Where so back in the old days you would pull it to adjust the the length of the car seat. You can put it right there. That's a great place because if you're trapped in your cars on fire and EMS is one or two minutes out, you need the ability to suppress that fire and or put it out and some of these will run for quite while now Mm -hmm. uh and it's just the size of like an old mag light flashlight and and you know you can seal that so that's very important piece of gear um from a safety because you're more likely to get in a car accident and be in that situation than you are an active shooter threat it's just statistics right yep so be prepared for those things don't just you know for self-defense isn't always bullets coming at you
0: what about like a seatbelt cutters um glass breaker all that stuff
1: yeah, on the, on the job, I have seatbelt cutters. I mean, a knife works. Yeah. Um, just keep in mind, you know, if, if you're using a normal fixed blade or any kind of folder to get somebody else out, be mindful of the tip mm-hmm. of it. Um, shears are really nice. Like on duty, I carry shears, but off duty, I just carry a knife. I just know I have to be a little more conscious if yeah. I'm using it to get people out of a car seat or something um, or a seatbelt. Um, So usually what I'll do is I'll wrap my finger around the tip when I go in. So I'll use Leatherman's only because I don't know where my knife is, but it'll serve. But like, let's say I had to get someone out of a seatbelt that's trapped in an awkward position. And all I have is a fixed blade with this point. Right. What I'll usually do is I'll put my finger, like I'm grabbing a magazine on that point and I will find finesse my way underneath the seatbelt. And then I can pull towards me. Right. That way I know I'm not going to stab them. So like there's, techniques you can use don't just go in there and you're you're stressed and freaking out you're trying to get them out of the car and cut them i mean it's not going to probably kill them but it's not going to be pleasant to cut them when they're already hurt right um so like there's techniques so i don't really carry that outside of work um because i the knife can be serve as that tool but having a a knife on you is very important on a daily basis
0: i mean how can we like as a shooting community, not put fear, I think, in, in people, but more normalize these type of conversations and normalize being prepared.
1: I'll normalize it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think knowing that you can defend yourself will actually liberate you and allow you to live free. Versus, I think when when people, you know, there's always going to be evil in society. When you realize that, you have two choices: you can rely on the government, or you can rely on yourself. And I'll tell you as a law enforcement professional that, you know, for the last 20 years I've committed myself to protecting people. Like I can't like I can't always get there fast enough. Right. Um, And either can a lot. And in this day and age with unfortunately with, you know, policing not being as popular politically, like it's hard to recruit police officers. Like I know one of the counties near me right now is less than 40 percent manned. And I just responded to a break in. Uh, For one of my senior leaders and it took those police two hours to get there now Somebody wasn't in the house, but just to do the crime scene. I I said why why did it take so long guys? I was like I called you I beat you there and I was responding from my house Like I live an hour away and they're like look shift change We only have seven people on shift for the whole county. We just weren't in a great location. We had more calls I said wow, we're really hurting in the community right now. So like You know, to not live in fear, you like you gotta take some of that self-defense in your own hands, right? You gotta train, you gotta think about it, you gotta be prepared, and then you can go on life knowing that you're ready. Yeah. And then be free, not not having to worry about what if, right? So like my wife and I, we don't think about it consciously, but subconsciously, if if there's an active shooter in the grocery store, she knows exactly what to do. She hears the shots, she moves away from the fire and she goes to the to the, the place where she knows there's more likely exits mm-hmm. or goes through, if she's in the front of the store and can't get out because of some reason go in. she knows she's got to get barriers between her and the threat. And she can, she's going to, so she's going to consciously start listening to where the threat is and move away from it. She's not going to like just hide or go in the fetal position, which is what I, you know, I give her case studies so she can mentally be prepared for how she may respond. She may drop to the fetal, the first shot, yeah, But then I'm hoping my training kicks into her. It's like, all right, now move.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you, you can't stay there. Move away. Yeah. You always should be looking to move away, right, um, from the threat. So, like, she knows all that. But when we go out to the grocery store, before we go to the grocery store, I don't, like, say that to her. <laughs> but, like, I think she feels more comfortable. She knows what to do. So when she sees it on TV, an active shooter at a Walmart, mm-hmm. she knows. She can look at that differently. She doesn't look at that as just she's a sheep you know like oh that could have been me in the fetal position that got shot she knows no i know what action to take and i'm going to you know give my myself and our son a higher risk of surviving yeah. yeah right so i mean i'm trying to get her into USPSA and get better with the firearms and stuff like that you know she really enjoys it yeah so i hopefully i can get her into the sport and and have fun with it you know that that's another way is cross training in the sport of shooting though you know I, I like all the instructors out there, um, you know, the, other than like Ben that teach more tactics. You know, you see people, um, you know, getting in the tactical gear and stuff like that. And some may be training to go in the military and other stuff, and that's great. But like, I like USPSA, the sport of it, because like, then you can enjoy it. But like, the byproduct of that is you're getting better for when you carry self defense wise. Yep. But like, you didn't have to have all the stress and fear or like, that wasn't the motive. You were out there to have fun. So like, you can train and have fun without like and then the byproduct is you're more prepared for self-defense. So that's yeah. why I like USPSA. I would get my wife into USPSA more than I would send her to like a tactical instructor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that to me, that's just gonna stress her out. She's gonna be thinking the whole time in their tactics and threats and yeah. but I what's the point? I want her to go there, like Ben would say. I just want her to learn how to employ the weapon. Yeah. You know, I'll teach her the mindset and we'll put that to bed and make it a subconscious thought. I want her to get become more skillful, but enjoy it at the same time. That's why I love USPSA for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, like it, everything is induced, not to the point where the active shooter, but you've got the beep and then you're like, Oh God, I got to grab my gun. Oh my gosh. How do I reload? What just happened? It's a blank mind. And when I teach too, it's, um, I see a lot of shield easies now in the market and I can't tell you how many times they get to class. It's, it's shooting time and they're very nervous. They haven't shot in a while and they're safetying themselves, whether thumb safety, they don't have the right grip. that's exactly what's going to happen if you're not out there shooting, practicing, getting the fundamentals down. So see that a lot. Um, But yeah, I think USPSA, it's practical in that sense is Hmm. that subconscious, like you're saying.
1: And then I always, I'll end on this note for the self-defense part is I always tell people, if you're going to get a gun and you're new to it, the first thing you need to learn is gun safety and get a safe. Yeah. Um, More people, you know, you're more likely probably to get shot by your own gun than you are to actually use it in a gunfight. Um, And that's just because you you have kids. Even if you don't have kids and you have a holiday party and kids come over your house, they get curious, you know. So you got to, like, protect your firearm, Um, you know, lock it up in a safe. Um, So, like, I have, like, we have two Voltex life pods in our nightstands. I, and then I have a big weapon safe in the basement for like the the the, the more gamesmanship, like my hunting rifles and stuff like that. Yep. Like, but it's protected; like nobody can get into it. Um, yep. You know, and then it's out of sight, out of mind as well, which is a great strategy. But you know, I I always get fearful of like, you know, and then teaching gun education. I always get fearful of my son because, like, yeah, while well, it's harder for him to get a hold of ammo and a gun in my house because they're separated and locked up. Mm-hmm. What if he goes to someone else's house? So, like, I'm already teaching him as an early age. I don't think he understands the difference between a Nerf gun and a real gun 100%. But he understands not to touch my guns, that he can touch his toy guns, and there's a difference between those two guns. He might not be able to articulate at three-year-olds that there's a difference, but he knows. There's discipline there. And then I'm teaching him gun fundamentals already, and, you know, the only thing I have to battle is his tension span. But he understands commands. So he understands make, make ready, show that safe. He knows what to do and he understands the concept of it. And I teach it with Nerf gun yeah. and then I'm teaching him. The harder part is teaching him not to flag himself or flag others yeah. because like he's trying to play with the Nerf guns with people and, sh- and play with his other friends. Right. Um, right. so like we're trying to teach him, there's two different modes. So like when I dry fire, he has to follow all the safety rules of not pointing the gun at me or himself, the muzzle while we're dry firing. But then when we go into play, he'll ask me, he'll look at me. He's like, play time. I'm like, "Yep." Yeah, then, then we can play with the Nerf guns. Yeah. And that's just so you understand there's a set of rules. Like, yeah. like it's a toy, but like at some point in time, you're going to know what rules are yep. and, and don't point these things. And I'm trying to teach our our age. Cause like if he goes over some kid's house and that kid brings a real gun I want my kid at three o say to tell me like, "Hey, he has a gun." Yep. the one that you told me not to play with. Yep. you know. So, teacher, teach people because you know I know some family members you know that have lost a loved one due to gun safety in their own house, unintentional, and it's just devastating because that's that you could just have prevented that with just good education.
0: Yeah. No, I have a uh, family members that, no, that hasn't happened yet, It, but we are with the replica guns, the play guns, just teaching. We're not pointing those at people because at that young toys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even though toys yeah. like I mean, that's what we're fearful of, though, is that they yeah. don't know the difference. They don't have that.
1: Yeah. You um, have to teach that. You yeah. absolutely do. If you have guns in the house and you have yeah. kids, um, you have to they have to understand black and white, that th- those are two different things, even though they look the same. Yeah. Um, and then just keep, I keep them on of the side. My, my son doesn't get the opportunity to, other than when my duty weapons on my hip coming, going to and from work, he doesn't really get to see them other than when I drive fire and stuff. And he knows, he knows he doesn't walk in front of the line, even when we drive fire and stuff like that. And he's, he's learning already. So my point is just teach your kids early on, you know, curiosity will end up hurting them. If not under your supervision, when they're not under your supervision, Yep. um, okay. And then same thing with cleaning your firearms. Don't get complacent. I think, you know, I've been pretty good with that. Like, my fear is also people get complacent with guns. They've owned guns for five, six years. I have some family members that I have to remind about that. Like, did you clear a gun before you start cleaning it? Like, yeah, you just pulled out the safe. But it's, it's an all or none thing. Either yep. you're all in. There is no half-ass in gun safety. Like, don't ever assume.
0: I think that's what happens in this in the gun world though, in in, in the competition world, I've seen that, it, and it's this speed, unload show, clear holster, and like we're done, and we're like, holy cow, like can we process that for a second? And that's when we see the ads and the unload show clear, and and all of this stuff where it's we're getting complacent, and we're around them more often, so we're more likely to have that problem, you
1: know? Yeah, I'm probably, you know, that you just said that, you know, I, I probably get a little too unconscious unload, show clear i need to make it a little bit more of a conscious effort mm-hmm. and then this is what i'm getting at so like even me who's been shooting a while when you just said that i thought about myself yep and there are times where i think i go through the motion motions but i think it needs to be a little bit more conscious effort right it's Not a lot, just
0: as an ro i've seen the unload show clear holster and they're already putting their ears off and walking down range when i'm still like looking at the R- <laughs> their holster like uh Fair. you know is the range Fair. clear i don't know so anyways this has been awesome. I want to talk about that. I didn't get to tell you that or prep you on that, which is my favorite part because I wanted to hear all of that. Um, so yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. If if uh, if you ever want to have like another show, talk a little bit more about like the home protection, self defense, I can
0: absolutely kind of
1: offer people a lot more. We'll see if if you know your followers want a little more specific on that. Yeah. Um, we can we can go in more depth. It it's interesting. I don't mind sharing it. None of it's proprietary. They're just. You know, it's just there. There are tactics that are proven. Um, you I know, want but the fire
0: extinguisher. I need a link to that when you find that. That's interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, I gotta
1: send that. Um, oh, here it is. Element E50. Okay. See, look like mag light flasher or a little flare.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so those are those are cool. You can, you know, we put them in our our cruisers and our cars, right right below the driver's seat. They work really really well.
0: Awesome. Well, Matt, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to mention before we close out? And then uh, you can leave your social media handles for people to find you.
1: Uh, it's just MN Shooting. Um, I'm gonna just for everyone. I'm gonna tr- try. I think Mason and I are gonna try and do a lot of uh, streaming at World Shoot so people can see it. I don't know what their media out footprint's gonna be. Are they gonna have? you know, a lot going on YouTube from IPSC official. Yeah. Uh, usually they do really good promo videos afterwards. I don't know live. Yeah, so sure. I know we're going to, the whole team there is going to try and do their best to stream it for people. So that'll most likely be on Instagram and YouTube the most. Okay. Uh, okay. If I had to guess. So uh, we'll try to probably hashtag that world shoot 2022 or something like that. Um, I like it. You know. Yeah. So that'd be kind of cool to follow because I wish I wish I would have known about it. The last world shoot, I would have probably paid a little bit more attention to it. And I know there's a lot of people interested in the world shoot. Yeah. I've had a lot of new shooters come up and say, how do you qualify and stuff like that? Um, so I'll probably do like on my YouTube channel uh, a lot more after world shoot to get people prepped for that because we'll go right into a points year for qualification. Yeah. And I think I always recommend people should shoot international matches. Um They're not as intimidating. Um, One thing I I feel like USPSA could, could do a little bit more outreach. I know that's not their mission, their missions here in the United States, but they are part of the IPSC community as you know, North American region and stuff. And I think they could, they could encourage a little bit more international shooting and be a little bit more helpful for shooters to, you know, maybe a link on their webpage on specs. But uh, I know like all the good shooters are very sociable and very supportive of the community. So like, if you ever want to ask me or anyone, well, you know, how do you get international? How do you shoot? What's involved? Uh, what's Ipsic like? What are the rules? Um, feel free to reach out to me. I'll, I'll you know, I am you back and answer. And if I don't know, I probably know someone that knows the answer. Yeah,
0: for sure we do. <laughs> awesome. Matt, yeah. thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this. Yeah. And uh, I've had fun yeah, with the Boneyard crew for sure. So, and thank you awesome. for letting me have a game stick.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll get you a game stick next time too. I love uh, it. What's when's our next match together?
0: Um. What
1: do you What's your next major?
0: I don't know. Next year, well, I'm shooting three guns, so you don't shoot that. Um.
1: You, you're gonna shoot Puerto Rico?
0: I can't shoot the Puerto Rico when I'm shooting the Extreme Euro at Manny and Gorka. I can't go. Right, shot I'll Rico. see you at Extreme Euro. Okay, yeah, because I can't go okay. shot show that one and Puerto Rico back to back. That's too much. I'd love okay. to. Okay,
1: maybe maybe we can do something live, a follow up uh, Extreme Euro.
0: Oh, we could totally do that. Yes.
1: Cool.
0: Awesome. Right. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for so listening. Yeah, absolutely. Go follow him online. If you have questions about anything, reach out to, to Matt. He's awesome. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Redicle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Redicle Up or 3GunKenzie.